Hey everyone, welcome to Grace Church Online. My name is Josh. I'm one of our pastors here and want to welcome you out. Thank you for being here and excited to jump into this conversation. We've uh, been in a series called Stops Along the Way and we've been walking through the gospel accounts and uh, experiencing Jesus the way that the disciples, the first followers of Jesus, would have experienced him. And uh, we've been tracking along for 11 weeks now and uh, taking these stops along the way. Jesus would regularly take moments to stop the disciples, to teach them, uh, to reveal himself, his identity, his heart, and his mind, and his purpose here in the world. And so it's been a really fascinating journey. Uh, you can go on our app, you can go on the website, and uh, check out all those other conversations and kind of get the full picture. And this is going to be our last week in the series. And uh, I'm excited for that, to uh, close it out and uh, be here near on the end of the journey. And as much as what we're going to see today is uh, nearing the end of Jesus' ministry, Jesus had a, a three-year ministry here on earth, and that's really what these gospel accounts are tracking. Um, there's also very much the beginning of what the disciples began to do um, even after he was gone and uh, what the early church began to do in implementing everything that they uh, experienced and understood about Jesus. So the end of the series, but the beginning of some new uh, and fresh things for the church and things for us to consider. And so uh, today we're going to be in Luke 10, uh, verses 1 through 20. And the conversation is going to change a little bit. The disciples up to this point have been doing a lot of observing, a lot of following. They're watching Jesus. They're figuring him out. They're learning all the things that they have misunderstood, the things that uh, in their viewpoint and their mindset are wrong. But at this stop in the journey and, and where we're taking it today, uh, things are going to shift from observing to really participating, that they're going to be uh, partnering and a part of um, what Jesus has been doing. And they're going to be kind of on a solo mission without Jesus. And so it's going to be a very different uh, part of the journey up to this point. So we're going to be in uh, Luke 10, verses 1 through 20. We're going to read through it one time, and then uh, we're going to make some observations and kind of see where it plays out from there. So Luke 10, starting in uh, verse 1. You can open it up on your phone uh, in the app or uh, open it up in a Bible if you have one with you. And it says this, After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. And he told them, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Go, I am sending you out like lambs among wolves. Do not take a purse or a bag or sandals, and do not greet anyone on the road. When you enter a house, first say peace to this house, and if someone who promotes peace is there, you'll pe your peace will rest on them. If not, uh, it will return to you. Stay there, eating and drinking, whatever they give you, for the worker deserves his wages. Do not move around from house to house. When you enter a town and are welcomed, uh, eat what is offered to you. Heal the sick uh, who are there and tell them the kingdom of God has come near to you. But when you enter a town and are not welcomed, go into the streets and say, even the dust of your town um, it will, we wipe from our feet as a warning to you. Yet be sure of this, the kingdom of God has come near. Um, and then jump down to verse 16. There's uh, this next part where Jesus says, whoever listens to you listens to me and whoever rejects you rejects me. And whoever rejects me rejects him who sent me. The 72 return with joy. And they said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. And he replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. 
And I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit uh, to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. So this is a fascinating interaction. Jesus um, is sending out a handful of followers. There's actually 72 that he identifies. And it's a very special mission, a very specific purpose that he calls them out for. And uh, there's a few things that I think make this a very interesting experience. It kind of seems like Jesus is sending them on a short-term mission experience. I don't know if you've ever been on a mission trip. Uh, They can last, you know, sometimes a few days, a few weeks. You may go to a totally different culture in a totally different country. And it seems like Jesus is kind of throwing them into that. Uh, He's not going with them. He is saying that they go with his authority. And uh, these are also going to be places where he follows behind and um, comes after them. But the mission is, is so different. It's risky. It's dangerous. Uh, they're supposed to trust God to provide for them. They're not even supposed to greet people um, on the way there. They're supposed to have their focus and attention solely on this. And even when they get there on the mission, they're supposed to prioritize those who are receptive, those who are hospitable. They're supposed to stay put and to kind of receive the, the wages or hospitality that's given to them. And if people reject them, they are supposed to uh, leave them behind and to move on. Uh, to the next town. So it's a very interesting experience. Jesus is um, letting them see that they are his representatives in a, in a very real way. They're supposed to go and with his authority and in his name heal um, people who are sick and also proclaim that the kingdom of God has come near because of the person of Jesus. But I think it's super interesting that um, Jesus is sending them out on this mission And I don't really know if they fully understand that one day Jesus is going to leave them. That what Jesus is preparing them to do is not just like Jesus needed a weekend off or Jesus wanted to see how they could do it, but really he is um, training them and delegating his mission and his work to them. I think it's fascinating if you have been tracking in our stops along the way that the disciples have a hard time understanding exactly what Jesus is work and who he is, what, what he's doing. And I think that it's probably still needing clarity up to this point that maybe they don't understand that one day they are going to be doing this on their own, that Jesus won't be with them, and that this is actually a very purposeful decision uh, for Jesus. And there's a few reasons I think that um, this is something that Jesus understands, but it's something that he's trying to get uh, his disciples to understand more. And so uh, we'll just look at these first two verses. He says, After this, the Lord appointed 72 others. And he sent them out two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. And he told them, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into this harvest field. And so he's appointing other people. He's found other um, people who are invested followers uh, of his. They're not professionals. This isn't like their new full-time job. They're people who believe that Jesus is who he says he is. And just like the 12 apostles, um, they want to be a part of his mission. They want to be a part of the kingdom that he's bringing. And so Jesus puts them to work. He appoints them and he says, we're going to start with you, uh, 72. Actually, even if you go back uh, one chapter before, Uh, The 12 apostles are kind of sent on a special mission as well. And um, Jesus pairs them up. He pairs them up two by two, and he sends them ahead of him. And we already read what the mission was going to be like. It was going to be hard. It was going to be dangerous. It was going to be challenging, and it was going to cost them, and it was going to test their faith and how much they actually trusted God to provide for them 
on this journey and in this mission. So he pairs them up. Um, he knows that even witnessing about Jesus being the one who um, is the Messiah, is God, is going to be a team effort and uh, that there's going to be challenges and opposition as he sends them uh, into the world and ahead of him. But the most interesting line, and maybe you've read this before, is this idea that the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. That the harvest is going to be difficult, it's going to be challenging, and there's a lot that needs to be done. But the problem is that there aren't people who are responding to that call to be a laborer, to be a worker in the work that Jesus is wanting to accomplish in the world. And this may just be this one event. Maybe this is just like a, a one-time thing. Jesus is sending them on, on a special mission. Maybe this is just um, for these 72. I actually think there are certain parts of this mission that make more sense that it was uniquely for the 72 who get sent out, that we can't just like translate everything that they were called to do to us today. But I do think that Jesus is showing the overall mission of God in the world, that in, in a very real way, the method that Jesus chooses to do his work, especially at this point in the journey, and, and the way that he's going to go about it, very much is at the heart of what um, God is wanting to do in the world himself. And um, I guess I would say it this way. I guess I would say that God wants to partner with humans in accomplishing his purposes in the world. God wants to partner with humans in accomplishing his purposes in the world. It's interesting. I, I don't know how much you know about the Bible, but um, maybe if you've ever started reading it, you've gone to Genesis. Uh, it's the first book in the Bible. And if you go there, you'll notice actually in Genesis 1, 26 through 28, you'll see that God creates humans. He creates men and women, and he creates them in his image. And he tells them that they are going to rule and reign with him, that they are going to be uh, co-rulers and co-workers with him in uh, bringing uh, just the multiplication and fruit on the earth. And it's very much at the heart of God in his design and in his creation that we would partner with him. And man, reading the whole story of the Bible, I mean, we can't even cover it all in one weekend, but there's a really dominant theme that God's heart is to partner with people, that he has created us and designed us to be in relationship with him and to do his work in the world um, with him, alongside him. But something is tremendously broken. And even in the story of Genesis, if you read Genesis 3, that um, it all kind of goes haywire, that uh, the human partners fail and they aren't good representatives and they get more fixated on their mission than they do on God's mission. They want to uh, have all the power and all the authority, but on their own terms. And that becomes like a dominant theme in the Bible, that over and over again, uh, God is relentlessly trying to uh, partner with people, to rescue them, to uh, be known, and to uh, accomplish his work through them. But yet people um, are always the problem. <laughs> They're always the ones who um, are subverting the mission, going off on their own, not trusting God, and um, being unfaithful covenant partners with him. So it's a really fascinating, uh, fascinating way to read the Bible. If you've ever been confused reading the Old Testament, I would really encourage you, uh, as you read it, to think of that kind of big theme, uh, being that God's trying to partner with people, and he's trying to uh, bring his mission to succeed in the world. And how do we see people kind of um, either succeeding in that and um, coming alongside and partnering with God, or falling away from that and uh, choosing to kind of go on their own mission. 
I think, um, for me, it seems a little bit ridiculous, like that God, who he is as a divine being, chooses to opt in to partner with humans in accomplishing his purposes in the world. It seems like it would be so much easier for him to just, like, do it all on his own, to, like, factor humans out of the equation, um, yet for some reason, not because he has to, but because he wants to, um, he wants to have these image bearers, these humans, to be a part of his mission. They, he wants to know them, be close to them, and partner with them, not just for them as creations, but for them as, as co-laborers with him. Um, for some reason, it's important to God that humans are a part of this redeeming and restoring work. And I think that's what we discover about Jesus. We just read about these 72, and they're being sent out into the world. And Jesus isn't just here to accomplish the mission all on his own. Of course, when we look at Jesus, like what he did on the cross, his death, his resurrection, that's all Jesus. That's his completed work, and that's something that only he could do. But in the sense of like proclaiming the message and letting the world know about this hope that comes from the work of Jesus, his death and resurrection, there's a very real sense that Jesus is continuing on this theme that God started all the way from the beginning, that Jesus wants his followers to be partners with him. He wants them to be partners in the work. He wants to empower them to do the mission. And he's not trying to exclude them or set them on the sideline. He's very much calling them to be active participants in the mission. And they are a part of the method in accomplishing that. But um, even if you read just a few verses before, we, we read in Luke 10, we read about these 72 who responded and who were sent out. There are people who are not, um, they have excuses. They're, they're not um, willing to pay the cost to go on this mission with Jesus. So let's like, look at these pretty quick. If you look right here in Luke 9, these are just the verses before Luke 10. It says, As they were walking, these are the disciples and Jesus along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus replied, Foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. He said to another man, Follow me. But he replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, Let the dead bury their own dead. But you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord. But first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, No one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. So it can seem like Jesus is being a, a little bit harsh or maybe just we don't understand some of those cultural cues or what he's trying to say. And, and that's worth exploring a little bit more. But the bigger point is that here are people that either are saying they want to follow Jesus or Jesus is inviting them to do that and they have excuses. And they have excuses that Jesus is saying for one reason or another, they're not valid. They're getting in the way of being obedient to his call to follow them. I think uh, there's a way that I have uh, super related with this recently. So um, one of the things that me and my wife do almost every year, every other year, is we run the Akron Half Marathon. And um, we're about uh, eight weeks into training right now. Uh, it's actually going to be virtual this year. And so uh, we were like, we're going to do it anyway. We're going to be faithful and accomplish this goal, um, even though it's just going to be virtual, and we're going to stick together. And um, we're going we're gonna to train and run this half marathon, 13.1 uh, miles. Actually, last week, I was going for a run. The day was long, so I had to run in the evening. And I got about a mile from our house, 
and I was running through a parking lot and stepped on a parking block and rolled my ankle. And I, I like went down. And I, I remember trying to um, ask people if I could borrow their cell phone to call, call my wife. I didn't have my phone. I ended up hobbling over uh, to someone's house that I knew um, a little bit of ways. And thankfully, someone helped me on the way, and I was able to call Sarah. And the biggest frustration of it all that I kept thinking after I, I hurt my foot, I knew I was going to be out for a while. I just sprained it, no break, um, but still have like physical therapy and some recovery to do. I, I wasn't like, whew, I got out of it. I got out of having to run the half marathon. Um, thank goodness I don't have to do that. I was like really, really bummed. I was really disappointed. I wondered what uh, Sarah might think. I wondered how frustrated she would be if she would continue on without me, if we could change the date. It was a virtual uh, half marathon. Um, but I remember that I, this is something that we do together. I mean, I actually don't think that running is that fun. I don't, I don't know if Sarah does either. We, we do this like every other year. But one of the reasons we continue to do it is because it's something that we can do together. It's something that we're excited and can talk about and can even find time to um, make this a reason not just to be healthy, but a reason to have a common goal together. And that's what's been super frustrating about it, is wondering how are we going to continue to partner together in this? How are we going to still accomplish this goal? Can we still and can we adjust? What happens with these people who Jesus is calling to follow him is they're not interested in making that adjustment. They're not interested in being partners. They have excuses. They're looking for a reason out. And if you, if you study some of those excuses a little bit more, you'll see that really they weren't that valid. And Jesus is, is calling people into a, a really difficult call. And what he's not looking for is people just to pump out work for him. He's looking for people who are willing to partner with him, who are willing to pay that cost, who are willing to be a part of the process and to be close to Jesus and close to others who want to be close to Jesus and doing whatever it is that he calls them to. And that's who those 72 are. There are people, there's the 12 who are following Jesus, and there are 72 who sign up for this uh, crazy mission that he sends them out on, and tremendous things happen through them. They come back with joy. They see that um, many people's lives were changed, that um, even Satan, even um, the enemy of God, isn't able to push back against them. And they come back with joy. And uh, Jesus even reminds them that what you should be excited about is not just that the Spirit submits to you, but that your name is written in heaven, that you are real, uh, you have a real relationship with God, that he knows you, that you know him, and that the joy of being on mission with him supersedes uh, the accomplishment. It's more than just getting a bunch of work done. That God is purposely putting himself in this position where he's aligning himself with people He's, he's getting himself kind of in the dirt and in the mess of people having to uh, answer that call and respond to him. At the end of, actually, each gospel account, we've, we've been tracking through in the stops along the way, um, kind of the stories of the gospels and the story of Jesus. In all four accounts of the gospels, um, when the book ends, there's some sort of commissioning, uh, some sort of call for the disciples to respond to what Jesus has done. And um, here's probably the most famous one at the end of Matthew. This is sometimes called the Great Commission. And it says that Jesus came to them, to the disciples, and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, 
and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So you can see the same thing, the same kind of language. The authority that Jesus gives them, it's been given to him and he's giving it to them. And he's telling them to go make disciples of all nations, to go everywhere and uh, to teach them everything that he has commanded them and that he will always be with them. He will be the one who is there, um, who's empowering them and um, who is going with them and before them. And you can find this in um, each of the four Gospels. You can just Google it, look it up right now. In Luke 24, uh, around verse 45, it talks about how um, the disciples are supposed to preach his name to all the nations, that they're witnesses, and Jesus says, I'm going to send you out. Um, in Mark 16, uh, verse 15, it says, Go into all the world and preach the gospel. And uh, in the book of John, verse 21, it says, As the Father has sent me, I'm now sending you. Th this is the way the story ends. The story ends with Jesus' death and resurrection and then a commissioning of those who believe who he is and have encountered him in this way to go out to the world and to bear witness, to be testimonies, to talk about what they've seen and experienced through uh, the work of Jesus. Even after all the Gospels are over, um, the next book in the New Testament is Acts, and it starts with this. It talks about what the early church did after Jesus' ascension. It says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. This is Jesus talking to his disciples. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And so what we see kind of happening here is Jesus' whole plan all along was um, to send the disciples out on mission. That, um, of course, like his death and his resurrection, what he does on the cross is only something that he could have done, only something that, that God could do for us. But in a very real sense, like his purpose in being on the earth has just begun. Um, even in another part of the Bible, uh, he says that it's better that he would leave. And I think the reason he says that is because he realizes the impact that people who respond to him, his disciples who decide to follow him and commit to his mission, what kind of an impact it could have on the world, where the Holy Spirit is empowering them, God himself, is in, in uh, followers of Jesus, is guiding them, and that they're going to all the nations, that they're going to be witnesses, that they're going to be people who, for some strange reason, represent Jesus in a real meaningful way. And they, that's how Jesus plans to uh, tell the world about what he has done. He doesn't stick around. He doesn't uh, decide to make a Facebook page and to brand himself, but instead what he does is he empowers people, people who um, have failed before, even his own disciples who mess up and had a hard time understanding them. Uh, for some reason, God is pleased um, to work in and through um, people. And so I think what we see from that great commission and what we see from the work of Jesus is really this, that Jesus' work becomes the responsibility of every disciple who believes the gospel. Jesus' work becomes the responsibility of every disciple who believes the gospel. What does that mean? I mean, we don't really have time to parse out all the, the different flavors of, of each commission, each end of the Gospels, but what we do see is a common theme, that the disciples are to be men and women who partner with God, that me and you are invited into this unique relationship where we don't just know who God is, but he partners with us, that we become actual representatives for Jesus, that he wants us to accomplish the same work, um, to share the same message in the world that he shared. 
the one that which he was sent for, the one that he gave his life for, and he's going to be the one who empowers us to do it. One of the quotes I read that really helped uh, remind me how important this strategy was or how important it was that the disciples understood this uh, came from a book called The Master Plan of Evangelism, and he writes this. He said, Jesus' whole strategy, indeed the fulfillment of his very purpose in coming to the world, dying on the cross, and rising from the grave, his whole strategy depended on the faithfulness of his chosen disciples to the task. It did not matter how small the group was to start with, so long as they reproduced and taught their disciples, disciples to reproduce. He had no other plan. He had no other plan. That Jesus banks it all on these 12 or these 72, however many people have made it through to the end of the journey, who have come to see that he is God, that his work on the cross is complete, and that his resurrection was real, and uh, to have faith um, in who Jesus said he was and the completion of his work for us. Um, what if the disciples would have failed to believe that? What if they would have failed to go out into the world and to share this message, to go on that risky mission, to continue to tell people about Jesus, to maybe not be so sure if his power and his authority were real, or if they gave up or compromised the mission because they just went back to their old lives. Actually, that even happens at the end of John's gospel. Peter um, kind of goes back to fishing and Jesus has to go interact with him again. I think what we see here is that Jesus isn't just looking for a few professionals or a few people who are spiritually elite. He has a bigger plan and a bigger vision of how he's going to reach the world. And it's going to be through people. That he's not just looking for people to accomplish things on their own authority or with their own agenda, but that this has very much been a part of God's plan and a part of Jesus' plan in uh, coming to earth. And it's all going to be done through the power of the Holy Spirit. One of the ways that I've really had to unpack this um, has been with my life group. And so um, we continue to try to figure out how to meet during the pandemic. We, we were on Zoom for a little bit. And uh, life group was fun for a little bit on Zoom. Um, thankfully, you know, we're small enough. We're able to meet outside. And uh, we've been meeting in person uh, throughout the summer. And something uh, we felt a really deep burden for was we knew that it wasn't by coincidence that God had brought us together. Um, there's been a lot of changes in our life group. Me and Sarah have been leading one for about four years now, and there's still new people that God was bringing into our lives and into our group. And one of the questions I began to ask was, how can our group be missional? And I kind of went about it the wrong way. Um, I kind of got all excited about, you know, thinking all that God could do in and through our group, um, especially even during the pandemic. And I began to try to think about how can I craft the perfect mission statement and how can I get it just right and how can I know all the different things that God is wanting to do in each person's life and can I just be some awesome life group leader who aligns the stars and comes up with some awesome mission. And I kept getting frustrated because I couldn't come up with it. I couldn't come up with the perfect vision statement or the perfect mission statement or even really know all that God wanted to do in and through the individuals in our group. And so um, one week I finally just brought it to the group and said, hey guys, um, I know we've been talking about this and it's been on my heart that I, I want us to be more missional. I think that God didn't just call us to sit together in this backyard. 
um, or just to huddle during the pandemic, but that he wants us to continue to have our eyes open and think about what does it look like to be missional? Um, how can we love and serve the people in our life the way that Jesus did? And actually, that's when the conversation blew open. Once I opened it up to the Holy Spirit in each of these individuals' lives and what God was already doing and the mission that he had already put them on, then our group was able to begin to have conversations. We got excited about it. And we were able to find like clear ways that God, why God had brought us together and ways that we could step into other people's lives um, that he had already placed from those in our group. It's so powerful and so good. Even just being able to have people in our group share what God was doing in their lives that week. How, as an individual disciple of Jesus, they were seeing God work in and through them and teach them and have them share that each week at group. It's been one of the more exciting times. And um, what it really opened up my eyes to, and I think it, this honors what Jesus is doing and even giving the Great Commission, is this. That God's mission isn't accomplished by something it's accomplished by someone. It's not accomplished by something, but it's accomplished by someone. And that's what I was really struggling with in my life group. I was struggling to think, how can I come up with the perfect something, the perfect thing that our life group is supposed to do? And how can I just create that and describe it and put it down in one sentence? And really, when I woke up to the reality of that, God wants to use people. He doesn't want to use my mission statement. He doesn't want to use some vague program. He wants to use the people who are a part of that. He wants to, to use um, what he's already doing in the lives of individuals and families um, of those around you. I think that this is so important for us because it demands now that we understand the mission and we understand what it means to be a partner with God. That we have to understand God as a father. We have to see that he's chosen us. He's invited us into his family. And that we're a part of representing his name. Um, we got to understand the, the person and the work of Jesus. We have to understand what the gospel actually is. We don't want to get distracted by fringe arguments or other just strange things that pop up in the Bible when the most clear and obvious thing that we should be about is Jesus' death and resurrection, the hope of the gospel. And then we also need to understand that the Holy Spirit is the one who empowers us in this mission. That just like with my life group, as we sit around in our backyard and talk about how can we continue to be missional, that the Holy Spirit is going to be the one who leads and who guides and empowers. And as we pray and seek God, he's going to move, he's going to work, and he's going to guide us to, to the next thing that he wants us to do. I think this is something that our world needs so desperately right now. I think we need it so desperately that we need people who understand that God wants to partner with them and send them out into the world because here you are online right now. I don't know if you haven't been back to church. Maybe you're not even in like Northeast Ohio and you're just tuning in to this weekend. But God wants to use you. He doesn't want to just use weekend services at Grace Church. He does. He's, he's doing it right now. He doesn't just want to use life groups or different groups or programs or volunteering at, at Grace. And he does. But in addition to that, in addition to all that happening, he wants to work in and through you. He wants to send you on mission. He wants you to be someone who loves and serves people like Jesus and has 
the hope of the gospel everywhere you go. Our world needs that right now. If they won't tune into a service, they won't show up at a group, how are they going to get the message and the hope of Jesus? It's important for us to remember that our banner and our allegiance is first and foremost to Jesus. There's no other agenda we have if we claim to be a follower of Christ. There's no political party that you need to be a part of. There's no yard sign that you need to have. There's no post that you need to put on Facebook. It's completely and totally following the person of Jesus. And there's no other way to brand that. There's no other way to prove that. I don't have to prove that I'm a part of the mission. One of the, one of the ways I wrote this down is that um, being qualified and being called are two different things. Being qualified and being called are two different things, or at least they're two different starting points. I think they're different because for a Christ follower, we're called before we're qualified. And actually, being called is what makes us qualified. That the whole reason that we even know Jesus and have come to follow him is that we all fall short. We are all broken and messy sinners. We are not good partners. We're not good image bearers. We find excuses all the time not to be a part of what God is doing in this world. We get distracted. We get off agenda. And Jesus is saying, I want you to be a part of this. The singular work. Stay focused. It's a hard mission. There's a lot of distractions. There's other things that we can find that we think are more important. But a follower of Jesus is someone who doesn't tout their qualifications. It's someone who understands that by the grace of God, they've been called and that's what makes them qualified to go and share and to be on mission. There are two things that I can think of, at least as I try to sort this out, and maybe you're in one of these uh, two chairs. But when I think about being a, a, a representative of Christ, someone who lives in his everyday life, um, someone who is responding to be a laborer, because we know that we, don't, we need more, not fewer. Um, if I'm wanting to respond to that call, if I'm wanting to be someone who really owns up to what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. There are two things that I can kind of feel. One of them is sometimes I can feel a lot of fear and anxiety, that I can feel super unqualified, and I can step back from stepping out in faith and, and having the courage that the Holy Spirit is going to empower me and that um, I have the authority of Jesus. Sometimes um, I actually have been accused of this, that sometimes it feels like I'm waiting for permission. And um, it's actually, I felt that as a pastor here at Grace. And it's so affirming to have other um, pastors, other leaders, other men and people in our church who say um, that they affirm that, that I don't have to um, be qualified, like earn that qualification that um, it's been given. Now, this is something that you can begin to walk in. You don't have to wait per, for permission, but that God has placed you here so that he can use you. And that's just something I'm sorting through, like in being a pastor here at Grace. There may be other ways that you feel that same tension of like, I feel like I'm waiting for permission. I don't feel like I'm the right person for this. I don't know if I'm fully qualified or fully ready yet. It's weird, right? When the, when the student becomes a teacher. It's weird when um, kids become parents. It's crazy. It's like, I don't know how to do this. Your parents didn't either. It's crazy when employees become bosses and managers and they're leading teams now, not just participating in them. Or when people who are amateurs become experts. There's some of that imposter syndrome. And Jesus doesn't want us to feel that because it's not in our own authority. It's not in our own power. It's not our own 
you know, crafty mission statement. It all belongs to him. So you might be in that chair where you kind of feel that fear and uh, being unqualified and some of that doubt or anxiety. And I would say, lean in to all the reasons that God has called you. He hasn't called you because you have it all together. He hasn't called you because he expects you to do it on your own. He's called you because he's gone before you. That all you're doing is being a witness to him. The Bible would actually say you're being an ambassador. And you don't have to put any more weight on that and just simply being faithful. See, maybe in that chair. Another chair I find myself in sometimes, and I, I find myself in both of these chairs, is sometimes I know that my pride and my self-importance leads me in the wrong direction. I know that sometimes what happens is um, my own personal goals and my own personal ambition gets in the way and my own personal purpose or whatever I think my mission is becomes bigger than what it is that God has asked me to be faithful to. I don't think I have to like decode God's will. I think he's made it really clear that what he wants me to do is to represent Jesus. He wants me to take the message of Jesus in the way that Jesus took it with the power that Jesus had. I don't think I have to complicate that, but sometimes I want to emphasize the wrong things. Sometimes I think that something else is more important. Sometimes my own pride begins to look more at myself than what it is that God just wants to accomplish in and through me. I had a really helpful mentor one time, an older man who said to me, Josh, God is either going to work in spite of you or he's going to work through you. He's either going to work in spite of you or he's going to work through you because God is still going to work. He is still going to be faithful. Are you going to rely on your gifts? Are you going to rely on what you just want to do? Or is God going to have to continue his mission without you? Are you going to miss out? Are you going to make excuses? Are you going to get distracted? What this really should make us feel is not overwhelmed, not fatigued or exhausted, but we should really be excited. We should really be challenged that this is an invitation for us. That this is not just another thing I have to do, but that because the Holy Spirit is in me right now, I can begin to live out this mission. I can, I can look around. I can see that God is with me right now, that he wants to do something right now as broken as our world is, as tired as I am, as frustrated as it can be, his mission has not failed. He has not given up. God is the, the most involved um, person at work in our world right now. And even though we, we may not see it, even though our world may not see it, we're called to proclaim it. We're called to proclaim that there is hope in Jesus, that God's purposes and his plans will be accomplished, that his promises are true, and that one day he'll make all things new. We're not abandoned to do this mission on our own. We're empowered by the Holy Spirit. We've been united with other believers who want to join in this mission as well. So I'd love to just pray for you, pray for our church as we close this out. And we're going to start a new series next week. I encourage you to check it out. It's called uh, Regardless of Circumstances. And we're going to continue talking about this kind of at a, our whole church level of how do we continue to live faithful to God regardless of the circumstances. But right now, I'd love to pray for you and uh, for you to consider how God is working in your life right now. Father, um, I'm just thankful that you enter into our world, that as um, much as we can run around and we can get distracted or focused on the wrong mission, that you showed up um, through the person of Jesus in the flesh to show us how, um, how to partner with you, how to truly live in the life that you've given, and that through his death and resurrection, we have a message of hope, 
through the Holy Spirit, we have the ability to carry forth that message. Um, I just pray that you would help us who are listening right now, who are considering this for our church, to see how you've placed them on mission. God, I pray that you would give them discernment. I pray that you would give them resolve, that you would give them courage, that you would humble them as you call them out to represent you, to partner with you in what you want to accomplish in the world right now. As dark and broken as our world is, God, you are still faithful. And we have the wonderful invitation to be a part of what you're doing. And I pray that your church would respond. I pray that the name of Jesus would come shining through um, this season and this time in our world right now. And that um, great things would happen in your name. That more people would come to know you, uh, to follow you, to respond to this call and uh, see how amazing you are. Uh, I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.